So as you can tell, we are going through the one another's of the New Testament. Uh, that's a reflexive pronoun, one another, that's used over 100 times in the New Testament. A couple weeks ago, we kicked off our series with the most used one another, actually the foundational one another, the bedrock and springboard of all the other one another's, love one another. And all the other one another's are simply a description of that first love one another. So all the rest of the one another's we're going to look at are ways that we're called to love one another. And the next one another in line that we're tackling this morning is the call to encourage one another. So turn in your Bibles or your mobile devices to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now I need to sort of set up the passage because we're really going to be focused on one verse. We're going to be focused on verse 11. But the context of verse 11 that calls us to encourage one another is the second coming of Christ. Now, you need to know that there were some false teachers, some bad teachers, some, some cult leaders, if you will, that were running around Thessalonica after Paul had planted the church, and they were telling the small congregation that Jesus had already come back, and they missed it. So they were filled with discouragement. And then they began to question, what's it going to take to get to heaven. They began to doubt the gospel. They began to fear that they wouldn't make it. Not only did they miss it, but they wouldn't make it. What was going to happen when they died? What happened to the people who had already died in Christ? They were filled with confusion. They were filled with despondency. They were filled with disappointment. And you don't need to be talking about the return of Christ to realize that those are descriptions of our lives sometimes as well, aren't they? It's so easy to become discouraged in our day. We get discouraged about how we're doing spiritually. We get discouraged over the sin that we're still struggling with after so many years of being a Christian. We get discouraged about relationships. We get discouraged about finances. We get discouraged about marriage and parenting and children and vocation. And the list goes on and on and on. And not only are there things in this broken world that discourage us, we battle an enemy who does not fight fair. There's an old legend that has been told over the years that Satan decided to have a garage sale. 
And he was going to make available to all of his new apprentice demons all of his tools that he uses to get at humans. If you remember C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters, uh, this is a little of what we're talking about. And so on the day, uh, Satan had all of his tools out and prices marked on all of them. There was hatred, there was envy, there was jealousy, there was deceit, there was lust, there was greed, there was pride, and on and on and on. But off to the side, on its own, marked not for sale, was another tool that looked relatively harmless. And all the apprentice demons were running up, trying to figure out what it was, and finally they asked the Dark Lord, What is this one you're unwilling to sell to us? And Satan responded by saying, this is the one tool I use when nothing else works. And if I can get this one tool into the heart of a believer, I can use any of the other tools as a follow-up. What's the one tool that Satan turns to, to blow up a Christian's life? Discouragement. Discouraged Christians are most open to sin. Because discouraged people in general, Christian or not, are looking for relief. They're looking for any antidote out there, any sort of drug that will help them lose their sense of discouragement and despair. And that's why Christians are called constantly to encourage one another. To encourage one another means to lift up a sinking soul It means to raise up a heart and buoy it out of the stormy seas. We are called to lift each other up with hope and strength and affirmation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So though Paul is encouraging discouraged Christians because they think they've missed the return of Christ, Paul's message of us to encourage one another applies to any and every situation and every day that we live our lives. So let's stand out of reverence for God's Word and follow along as I read 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. This is God's Word. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, again, times and seasons of the return of Christ, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. And He wants our hearts to be buoyed. He wants our souls to be lifted up. He wants us to be encouraged. He's the supremely encouraging God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is the supremely encouraging God? We're going to learn about that this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, as always. And Lord, as we learn how to love one another well, prioritize this one for us. Help us to understand what it means to lift each other up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So again, the key verse is encourage one another, build one another up. Three ways we're to love one another by seeking to encourage one another. First of all, encourage one another by offering hope. It's been said that man, humanity, people can live almost three months without food. And many humans can go three days without water. But it's hard for any human being to last more than three seconds without hope. Part of encouraging one another is offering one another hope that lifts us out of despair and discouragement. In verse 11, the the Greek word for encourage is a combination of two words. It's para, which means alongside, and kaleo, para kaleo, to be called alongside to help. The, The picture is of a friend walking beside you, along with you, on a journey. And as you're facing different dangers and traps, that friend is there to guide you. But more importantly, just to encourage you. Now, here's the interesting thing. That word parakaleo is the foundational root of what Jesus talks about in John 14 through John 16, where he talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Parakaleo is to encourage, to walk alongside to encourage. The paraclete, it's, it's in some Bibles called the comforter, the Holy Spirit is. In some Bibles it's called the helper. But if you're consistent with the English, it ought to read when the encourager comes to you. Think about that. Jesus sent God the Holy Spirit to live within regenerate Christians so that we might hear whispers and shouts of encouragement 
along the way. And if Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're filled with the paraclete, if we're filled with the encourager, then in our relationships with each other, we will be willing and able and ready to encourage one another, to offer one another hope, to buoy one another's hearts, to lift each other's spirit. Now, we're shown in verses 1 through 10 examples of how Paul is offering hope to discourage Christians about the return. Look at some of these examples. First of all, in verse 2, Paul gives them hope not to be worried about when the return of Christ comes. He's basically saying, hey, stay in your lane. You have nothing to worry about. God's in control of all of it, and forget about people who read their Bibles with a newspaper on their lap. They don't know what they're talking about. Nobody knows when Christ is coming back, so don't worry about it. Don't feel despondent that you've missed it. You can't miss it. How encouraging is that? How much hope did that give to these believers? And we need to encourage one another with the providence and sovereignty and goodness of God. People all the time, I feel like I'm going I'm to miss God's will. <laughs> I say to people, what if I told you you can't miss God's will? In other words, he's sovereign. Now, yeah, you can disobey his revealed will in Scripture. You can't miss God's will. He's sovereign. Do you realize the hopelessness of believing, and by the way, some of you here might, of believing you can miss God's perfect will? So, okay, by the end of the day, I'm perfect will minus one if I'm really good. At the end of this week, I'm perfect will minus 10 if I'm really good. At the end of this month, I'm perfect God's will minus 3,000. And if you live for 30 years as a Christian, you are 10 to the 300th power off missing God's perfect will. How's that for discouragement? You see what I mean? Paul is saying, God's sovereign. Yes, we're responsible, but somehow God's in control and we don't have to lose hope. And then in verse 5, Offer hope to one another that we're not of the night, that we're of the day. That's reminding each other of our position in Christ, our identity in the gospel. If you know Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. It's so easy to become discouraged when you see that same sin taunting you day in and day out. And we are supposed to fight it. But you know what's going to give the energy to fight sin? Knowing that even when you blow it. God doesn't love you less than he did if you succeeded. Well, don't think it doesn't matter to him. It does. But not as far as your position in his eyes. And so we're encouraged. We're lifted up. We have hope to keep on battling sin because we're not of the night. We're of the day. Verse 8. Paul offers the hope that we've been given protection. We have the breastplate of faith and love. We have the helmet of the hope of salvation. And then in verse 9, he says that we've not been destined for wrath, but for salvation. How many times do we need to hear that when we get discouraged? Or when you go through suffering? 
You know, that's the hardest time for me to believe the gospel when I'm going through suffering. Why? Because I think I deserve it. I, 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 I didn't live perfectly, so I deserve what I'm getting. And you become despondent because you think you're destined for God's anger and disappointment. No, we're destined for salvation. And Jesus took away the wrath of God, even the anger of God, and even the disappointment of God. And that is encouraging. Now, how do we encourage? How do we grant hope? Well, the Scriptures tell us. Romans 15.4 says that through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Do you hear that? Through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. That's the way we offer hope to each other. That's the way we encourage each other. We use the truth of Scripture, the truths of the gospel. And see, this is why maybe the church isn't as encouraging as it could be and it should be. This is why you hear some of the most discouraging statements are empty encouragements. Like, what's an empty encouragement? Oh, it'll be fine. You'll be great. You don't know that. The cancer may not go away. Your husband may not repent. No, we need the truths of Scripture to be spoken to each other in such a way that our hope in Christ is magnified and multiplied. That's what leads to hope. Do you offer each other the truths of the promises of God's Word? You know, there could be so many positive descriptions of a godly Christian, but Few descriptions would be more complimentary than to be called a son or daughter of encouragement. And that's exactly what Barnabas was called, the son of encouragement. Everything he did brought hope to people. The early church, they were afraid of being impoverished. They were afraid of being fired from their jobs, not having income. They were afraid of, of uh, having to be taxed in a special way because they were Christians. And yet Barnabas sold a piece of property and brought the proceeds. So in the midst of everybody being afraid through a scarcity mentality, Barnabas was generous. He lived an encouraging life that put courage into others in a time of fear. And then Saul was converted and he became Paul. But nobody in the church wanted to trust Paul because he'd been killing Christians. And so Paul was isolated and rejected. But Barnabas gave Paul hope by taking him by the hand and introducing him to the church. And he also encouraged the church to encourage God that, hey, God changes lives. Why can't you trust this guy? God changes lives. Come on. And he was such an encourager. He brought hope to people that are struggling with fear and unbelief. He gave hope to John Mark. Here, Paul gets rejected, and only because of Barnabas' encouragement is Paul embraced. And then John Mark goes on a missionary trip with Barnabas and Paul. Barnab or John Mark runs home to mommy. And then he wants to come back to go on another missionary trip, and Paul 
The one who has been shown grace says, no, no trip for you. I had to do that. Those of you who aren't Seinfeld fans, get a life. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, takes John Mark along. Who do you need to encourage today? Where do you need to offer hope to someone whose spirit is deflated? Encourage one another by offering hope. Secondly, encourage one another by offering strength. There's two words in verse 11. The first is encourage one another, but then Paul tells us more about how to encourage one another by saying that we're to build up one another. Literally, the word means home builder. It's the, it's the word for house and the word for builder. We are to build each other's homes. We are seen as houses of grace that God is creating. And Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the footers of our lives. And then we are to help build up the house of one another's lives. We're actually called to do that. It's the work of God, but God works through the church. God works through our connection to the body of Christ. And we are responsible to build each other up. My life verse, Paul repeats or says, writes in, in Acts 20. Well, Luke writes it, but Paul says it. Acts 20, 32. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up, same word as 1 Thessalonians 5, able to build you up and give you the inheritance of those being sanctified. You see, grace isn't merely the message of God's unconditional love in Christ. It is that, but it's also the message of God's supernatural transforming power available to us in Christ. And part of building each other up is constantly reminding each other of the strength that comes into our lives when we rest in God's unconditional love and when we trust the promise of His transforming power. As a matter of fact, I would even say, you've heard me say it before, when you least feel you deserve grace to be true for your life and believe it's true anyway, that is what brings the strength of the Holy Spirit upon your lives in a fresh way. And so when we're around each other and we can tell that someone is discouraged and losing heart because the gospel doesn't feel real to them at that point, we offer strength by preaching the gospel to them afresh in a way that opens up their hearts with the power of the Spirit to receive it again. You see, we, we, we never move beyond grace. We simply go more deeply into it. And there's nothing like sharing the gospel with each other that leads to strength to live the Christian life. Paul says in Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up. Same word as 1 Thessalonians 5. 
only that which is good for building up and as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You see that? No matter how many times you read Paul, what he's going to tell you ultimately when it comes to encouragement is just preach grace to each other. Now listen, sometimes grace has teeth. We're, we're, we're going to talk in other weeks about how the Bible calls us to practice another one another, which is admonish one another, instruct one another. There, there's a place for grace to have teeth. But this use of encouragement is to build each other up in hope, to remind each other of the power of grace to change our lives. Romans 15, 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We just finished 1 Samuel. Remember what happened when Jonathan, David's best friend, came to David when David was struggling? And in 1 Samuel 23, 16, it says, Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. How did he do that? He preached the truth of the gospel to David. He reminded David that the Lord is, in fact, your shepherd, David. I know you wrote that, but let me remind you, it's really true. And he will take care of you. He's promised. And David's spirit was buoyed. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.16 that Onesimus constantly refreshed him. This guy that Paul led to Christ was constantly bringing refreshment. Another way we talk about offering strength through encouragement is what happened with, with Moses on the battlefield over the Amalekites. Remember that story? It, it's a valley. It's like a huge football field. And when Moses raised his hands with the staff in the air, the Israelites gained ground. But when Moses got tired and the staff fell, his arms fell, the Amalekites took over and got the victory. And so what happened? Aaron and Hur practiced encouragement. They strengthened Moses' arms. And one took one arm and one took the other arm. And they just held his arms up. And the battle was won by Israel. Whose arms around you right now are tired? They're sagging. They're losing strength. And the way we lift them up is by offering them the encouragement of the gospel that gives us strength. Encourage one another by offering hope. Encourage one another by offering strength. And then thirdly, encourage one another by offering affirmation. It's interesting that this is not what we read. Well, let me ask you, when Paul says in verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up, how do you think he's feeling? What, what, if, if, if he was speaking it instead of writing it, what would it sound like? Hey, you knuckleheads, encourage one another. Doggone it. Losers, build each other up. Do you think that's what it sounds like? No. You know how we know that's not what it is? The next phrase, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Nothing fills the tank with more fuel 
than affirmation. People can run miles on just a few drops of affirmation. But we as the church are to be affirmation machines. Now, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm an affirmation junkie, right? Which means I'm always looking for affirmation. So you got to be careful with me. But with the rest of us, we should be affirmation machines as far as offering it, as far as giving it. And even if someone is an affirmation junkie like I am, God will still work through your affirmation and a work in my heart to get me right. But Paul is affirming, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. We don't know how well they were doing. I'm not saying Paul's being insincere. But he's being so incredibly affirming. It, it puts fresh wind in the sails of the Thessalonian church. You know, Jesus was an incredible affirmer. I'll, I'll just give you one example. There's lots of examples. In, in, in Luke chapter 7, there was the centurion, the leader of a hundred soldiers, and he had a servant who was near death. And the Jews were, were all saying, oh, this man is worthy, this man is worthy, he's been good to our nation, please, Jesus, go, he deserves you to go. And the centurion comes up and kneels down before Jesus and says, I am unworthy, interesting dichotomy there, I am unworthy for you to come under my roof, but I too am a man under authority, and I know your authority. So, Jesus, just say the word. Don't even come to my house. Just say the word, and I know that your word has the authority to heal my servant. Remember what Jesus said? The text tells us that Jesus was astounded. The text tells us he marveled. And then he said these words, I tell you the truth, not even in all Israel. Have I seen such faith? Can you imagine the centurion at dinner that night? Can you imagine how thrilled he was? Jesus, he, he said he'd never seen faith. Not in an arrogant way, but, but in a way that he felt so affirmed. We're to be an affirming church. You know, anybody can fault find Anybody can criticize. How often do you catch each other doing something right? Parents, how often do you catch your kids doing something right? Spouses, how often do you catch yourselves catching your spouse doing something right? How often do you catch the staff of this church doing something right? How often do you show appreciation and affirmation to those around you? You've heard of the Tui's, right? Uh, they adopted Michael Orr, uh, became an NFL football star. Um, he uh, didn't start playing until he was in high school. They adopted him when he was a senior. Uh, great story, movie Blindside, Academy Award-winning film. Well, they wrote a book in addition to having the movie Blindside. And in the book, they tell another story. It's about a congressional program that very few people know about. And it's actually for those young adults who've aged out of the foster care program. In other words, they were never adopted. And now they're too old. And there's an internship program at the United States Capitol that actually 
gives some of these young adults the opportunity to work on Capitol Hill. Well, the two East happened to know one senator who participated in the program with one of these young men. And the senator tells the story that he got to the office building one day, and the intern was there, and he was reorganizing the mailroom. And the senator walked in and said, did you do all this? And the intern said, yes, sir. He said, this is amazing. This looks fantastic. You did an incredible job. Well done. And the intern, who'd never been adopted, who was out of the foster care system, just started weeping. And the center at this point was clueless. He said, son, are you okay? And the intern nodded and through tears said, yes. And then the senator said, you know, I'm really new at this. Did I say something wrong? Was I insensitive about something? And the intern through tears said, no, sir. The senator said, then please, son, tell me, what are the tears? And the intern looked at the senator and said, that is the first time in my entire life, anyone has ever told me that I did a good job. Affirmation can change our lives. And our God is the supremely affirming God. Is that your view of Him? Zephaniah 3.17 he delights in us. He rejoices over us singing. The baptismal formula over Jesus. This is my son. I love him. In him I am well pleased. God is the God of encouragement. That's what it says in Romans 15, 5. God is the God of encouragement. The Spirit is the paraclete. The Spirit, you can call him the helper. You can call him the comforter. You can call him, some verses call him the, the paraclete. What good is that if you don't know what it means? He is the encourager. He is the one who is called alongside to be in your corner and shout encouragement to your soul. And as we're filled with the Spirit, as we're filled with the paraclete, we are called to do the same thing. Catch each other doing stuff right. Give each other hope. Inject the promises of God and the gospel into each other's lives. Remind each other of the hope of the strength of the gospel. And affirm the fool out of each other. And stand back. And watch the miraculous. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that we would be given a spirit of encouragement. God, we ask we wouldn't be so wrapped up in our own uh, lives and troubles that we would forget to encourage one another. God, I pray that, that unbelievers would want to come to this church because they hear it's the encouraging church. Lord, that uh, unbelievers would come to faith in Christ because they've been encouraged by what they've heard about the gospel. And Lord, if there is anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus, may they run to the supremely encouraging God and have their sins washed away.
God, for those of us who are downcast and struggling with despair, would you remind us that you really are an encouraging God. You really are in our corner. You really are for us. And so, God, help us run to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and hear the benediction. Again, the, the benediction is called the good word. It's, uh, it's the encouraging word. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.